Welcome to Midweek, a place where we dive deep into Scripture. So grab your Bible, a pen, and a notebook, and get ready to study God's Word. Okay, you can open up your Bibles at Joshua chapter 8, and uh, we're going to go verses 1 through 8 tonight. We're going to talk about how to turn defeat into victory, uh, I think which is a topic every one of us wants to think about and know about. And just by way of remembering, remember Joshua has now, um, he has lost a battle that he should have won. They go to Ai, and this is just just a little outpost of Jericho, like a fort area, not a big place at all. But they lose because we know now there's sin in the camp, and Achan is the culprit. And interesting thing, Achan, nobody really knows what, what Achan, the word, his name means, and we know the Valley of Achor is like troubler. So some people think his name means troubler. Some other language, the name translates into the idea of serpent, like a serpent-type person. So, um, um, so that's an interesting side note. So, but he had taken the stuff under the ban that God said, that's not yours to take. And, of course, that was the first city, and you give God the first fruits all the time. And then we talked about last week, I think, that we talked about uh, why so severe. Because remember the whole family was stoned to death after that? And why so severe? I mean, if he's the one who took it, why so severe? And then we correlated back to Deuteronomy where it says that the, uh, that the, the children do not suffer for the sins of the parents. It's not... They didn't do it, and so, which is a great verse for today if America would latch on to that because it, everything today is a bunch of ancient grievances that nobody was around and nobody did anything about it. Nobody had anything to do with it, so that verse shoots that down right there, but why, would the, why were the kids and the family all stoned to death if the, the kids are not uh, guilty for the parents' sins? Well, we have to make the assumption then because we know God's not a liar. Amen to that one? He's not a liar, so you have to assume that the kids, the family, everybody was complicit in real time. They all knew about it. Otherwise, why such a severe judgment on the entire family? So you have to assume that's what's going on right there. Now, <clears throat> we've all experienced failure, correct? Yeah. We've all, we've all tried things, and it's not, and whatever your last failure was in mind, guess what? There are going to be some more, all right? We're going to just try things in our life, and things aren't always going to work out. And so the real big issue is, what do I do after I, I have failed in something? That's the bigger issue than the failure itself. And, and, you know, and the answer for some, and not everybody, but in my experience dealing with myself and dealing with other people, the wrong ways we deal with failure is many people just basically paralyze themselves and they're never going to try anything again. And that's called sabotage. You just begin to sabotage your life because I don't want to experience that thing again, so I'm going to sabotage myself and not even take a risk anymore. And that's not what you want to do whatsoever. Other people... Uh, they go into the, the victimization, they blame, they blame others, they blame God, they blame this. And that's a real easy route to take because when you blame others, guess who never has to grow or look at themselves? Ourselves. And so we're, you know, our nation more and more is pushing more the victimization type thing. That's not what you want to teach your kids. That's not what you want to teach yourselves at all. Take responsibility for yourself. And that's what you got to do. Now, the other thing that people do is you can go try the very same thing that you tried and didn't work. And, you know, in, in other words, and that's called insanity, right? You try the same thing repeatedly again and again and again, and yet you, and you think you're going to have different results, but it's always the same result. And so people do that all, all the time. So 
what do successful people do? And something I just learned, I didn't come up with myself, but something I learned, and there's the first two things in your notes right there, just by way of introduction. Here's two questions that I, I've learned from some other people way smarter than me that I learned to ask after I have something that I tried didn't work. And the first one is this, what did I learn? I asked myself, what did I learn? And the second question I asked myself is, what would I do differently? If you want to write down to a word in, after each one of those, write down after what did I learn, write down the word analyzation or analyze, either way you want to write it. What did I learn? That's an analyzation term. That's to analyze. And the second one, what would I do differently? Write down the word application. And that's the way you want, if we're smart, that's what we're going to do. So the first one, when we say, what did I learn? I'm going to analyze. I'm going to think about what went wrong. What, what's going on? This is where I think it in my head and think in my head, and I come to conclusions on what went wrong. Now, after I know what went wrong and I know what to fix, now, if I'm wise, or if I want to get ahead in life, I'm going to go to application. Now I'm going to step out and apply the very things that I analyzed and the very things that I learned. And hopefully, I'll have different results, better results than I had right there. So Joshua, he's doing those things. He's analyzed, and he's going to apply. And the great thing about Joshua, which we should all do, when he analyzes and he applies with those two questions, he talks to God about it. He sits before God. Remember, he falls down before the ark, and he's basically saying what went wrong, and, and he's going to get the application from God in chapter 8 right here. And so we can learn a lot of really great lessons from Joshua. You know, there's multiple ways. How do, you, how do you get wisdom in life? Do you know how you get wisdom? You First, you can learn by studying God's word, correct? But one of the other and easier ways to get wisdom is by learning from the mistakes of, of other people. You can learn from other people's mistakes, and that's a good way to learn them too. Let them make the mistakes, and then you glean the wisdom from what they did wrong, and you can walk in, the, in, in those different things. So, it's all about, when we turn defeat into victory, it's all about relearning something in your life and, 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 the ability, and the willingness to change. Now, how many of you just know, just from experience down in life, dealing with yourself, dealing with people, it's one of the, most, one of the more tougher things to do is uh, to change yourself. Isn't it? I mean, it's easy to, to want others to change, is it not? It's easy to want them, that they, they need to change. I, I don't need to change anything, but... The hardest thing is to look at myself and say, I, I, I need to change something here. Because it's easier just to blame God and others, et cetera, et cetera. And, and then, of course, if we do that, we, we never get ahead in life. So I, I, I do a little bit of counseling. I don't do a lot of counseling. I used to do a lot of counseling, but I, I just don't have the time because I'm always prepping for teachings. I, I, Sunday mornings, Tuesday nights, once a month to do the men's. And if I have to speak somewhere else, then that's even more on the schedule. So... My life is a lot of preparation. There's, it's easily for me at any given point in time be thinking about three different teachings at the same time as I'm prepping and putting things together. Now, when I was a younger minister, I couldn't do that. I mean, now that I'm you know, over in my 40s, it's so much easier to do that now. But, but now that I'm older and I've done it so many times, and uh, it, it gets easier. It's not easy, but it gets easier to do that. So, but I do a little bit of counseling, and... And typically, if somebody comes to me, they're coming to me because they heard me say something in a message about adult children of alcoholics or dysfunctions or things like that. Because you hear me talk about that a lot. And that's one of my main um, uh, thrusts of my life is that you know, what people call inner healing or healing the emotions. I just call it, you got to grow up. 
you got to grow up the old emotional guy inside of you. And so there's people coming to me, and I have, I have certain people coming to me right now, and I always tell people this, unless I'm maxed out, I tell people, I'll meet with you once a month for about five or six months, and that's all I can do. I can't do more than that. And so people come to me, and uh, recently I was talking to one person, and I can never share their name, and I won't share their names, but um, they, uh, they were telling me this and that thing, and, and look, how many of you know, just be honest, when you hear somebody talk, you can pretty much discern pretty quick that they're blaming others and they're not taking responsibility. Can you tell, tell that now? I mean, that's just something that's just like, after you get older and you hear it so much, and then when you counsel people, and any counselor, any counselors in the room here, you analyzing me right now? No, I'm just joking. But when you counsel people, what you begin to understand is that there's no temptation, but such as as common to man. And what you're hearing this person tell you this week, you have already heard this last week, Six months ago from different people, last year, three years ago, ten years ago. And the stories are all a little bit different, but the, sim- the symptoms, the inner workings of it, it's all the same. There's nothing new under the sun. And I'm thinking, that's exactly what, the way I used to look at it. That's exactly what I used to do. I'm thinking like this as I'm talking to somebody. So this person comes into me, and they're sharing all these things, and I'm listening to them. I'm thinking, this person's not taking any responsibility for their life. They're just blaming everybody else. And so I always look at it like this. If you come to me, then you're going to hear it. I didn't come to you. I didn't call and make an appointment with you to see what you need to talk to me about. But if you came to me, you really want to know something. And, and so I, I'm, I'm a real straight shooter. I don't know if you can tell that on Sunday mornings, but I'm a straight shooter. And, I'll t- and I, this person, I'll tell them straight, nope, you're wrong here, and I'm showing him this, and I'm showing this, showing this, and Jesus said this, and doing this, and, I get, and, by, the, and by the end of it, they're like, You know, they're like drained, but they realize that they're the problem. I said, and I always tell people, I try to get into this point. I go, who's the problem in the situation? And they finally have to admit, I am. I go, good, you finally understand that. Because the only person you can change is who? Is yourself. And this person, to their credit, they take it from me. And and look, almost everybody that comes to me takes it from me. They just do it. And I don't know why. I don't know why I haven't been punched in the face. I don't know why. But... um, but they take it from me, and I tell them, and I let them know, and I share from my experience and all my issues and all my blame and all my stuff that I did in my life. And so, but they, they took it from me. And so they, they, and this person walked out, and they learned something. Isn't that the most important thing? You learn something? I mean, once you've gone through something, you have to learn something from it. Because if you don't, you're just going to repeat the cycle again and again. So when you learn something, you can turn your defeats into victories. When you don't learn something, you're going to stay stuck. You're going to stay stuck. And, you know, one of the things you look for, by the way, in dating or anything like that is make sure the person can admit. Because if they can't admit anything, what's the point, right? You're going to end up having so many dogfights in that relationship in the future. And don't think to myself, well, I can change them. You can't change anybody, okay? Nobody can change unless they want to change themselves. So how do you turn defeat into victory? In your notes. I, I'm, we're going to cover a, a quite a bit of, I think we're going to get a lot of cross-reference, I think um, maybe that's a, a different one I just typed out in my head. But um, to, to, turn, to turn defeat into victory, number one, we need encouragement, don't we? I mean, the first thing you need is encouragement because when you when you've fail at something, it's easy to be discouraged, is it not? Now watch what God does in Joshua chapter 8, verse 1 and 2. Now watch this. Joshua has just been defeated. The army's lost. And now watch this. He's been before God. The ark is there. And it says, Now the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear or be dismayed. 
Take all the people of war with you and arise and go up to Ai. Ai, in case you don't know, is the place they just lost the fight at. See, I have given it into your hand, the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. Now, there are three elements of encouragement that I want to uh, give to you, and there are three bullet points, and you've already written one down, but I want you to write it down again because I want to show you. The first one is encouragement. Write it down again. Even though that's point one, just write it down again. The first element is encouragement. Now, I'm going to take chances because I know it's recording and this is not your Bible study, it's mine. So if you're going to say something, raise your hand and hit me up real quick. My first question is, okay, how did God encourage him? What did God say as a point of encouragement in verse 1? What did God say? If you know it, raise your hand and tell me. What is it? Since it's about, yes, Tim. Don't be dismayed. Back And what else? Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. So there you find the first steps of encouragement. God is saying, do not be afraid, do not be dismayed. Question, not the answer, but I'll answer myself. Um, so why would Joshua need to be told, do not be afraid, do not be dismayed? Because he's going to go fight the very enemy that just beat their troops. So once we and you and I have failed, it's easy to be a little bit afraid, right? And once we're afraid, fear and faith are contradictory to each other. Because if you live in fear, you're going to knock out faith. In fact, if you live in fear, you're going to knock out love that God loves you because there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all, all fear. That's right. So he says, do not fear. So the first step he gives them is encouragement. And everyone needs encouragement once they have failed. Now, the second bullet point is he gives them instruction. He gives them instruction. Now, I want you to think about instruction. Now, raise your hand and tell me if you know in that first one, what was the instruction given to him? If you know, what is it, Noah? Go up to AI and C. Okay, go up to A and C. A little bit more, but you're on the right track. Anything else? Anything else? An instruction there? Yeah. What? Take all the people. Don't take 3,000. Now, quickly look back at Joshua 7, verse 3. Um, 7 3. Remember what happened before? It says they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not let all the people go up. Remember that? Only about two or three thousand men need to go up. Okay, that's enough right there, but go back. So this time, now you find there's instruction. Say, This time, don't take two or three thousand. Take, take all the guys, take the whole army. So now you're getting this instruction. So first, you see encouragement, then you need, you see this instruction right there. And so, okay. So Joshua's going to do that. So you notice how it's all playing into what went wrong and what would I do differently? Did you catch that right there? He's understanding what went wrong and what would I do different now. Now watch this. The third one is this one. It's a, a promise. So first encouragement, that's what you need. You need instruction and you need a promise. Now this is going to be the real easy one. Look at verse 1. What is the promise given to Joshua? Raise your hand and tell me somebody. Raise your hand. I don't see a hand. Sylvia, you're being rebellious. Yes, Sylvia, go ahead. She's AI. He says, I'm, I've given them into your hand. So that's a promise, right? So God's given him a promise. And don't we have promises in the word of God? Yes. All the promises of God are yea and amen to him who believes. So we have the promises of God right here. Now, if you think about this whole thing, here's what I think is really cool. Can I show you something really cool? And how God maneuvers and ministers to us in our life. And sometimes we just don't even see it that way. But it's really neat. And here's what I, here's, let me re rearrange, let me restate those three things. So, encouragement, let's call that emotional support. Does God give him emotional support? 
Yes, he does. Instruction, take all the men. Now, from that one, is he giving them practical or physical support? Yes, he is. So now he's giving, and then the third one is he's given a promise. Now, is that spiritual support? Because God is spirit and God's telling him, I'm promising. Is that spiritual support? So God is ministering to him emotionally, physically, and, and spiritually, right? Do you catch that? Do you, you guys all catching that right there? Now, not in your notes, but put a marker here. Turn to your New Testament. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and look at chapter verses, uh, 1 Thessalonians 5. Just get there first, and then we'll take it from there. When you're there in chapter 5, say, I'm there. You guys there? Okay, now check out verse 23. Um, Now watch this. God's going to give a description here of how he sanctifies and what he sanctifies, but within the description of that, he's going to tell us the composition of our lives. He says, verse 23, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. Now he's going to show you entirely who you are. He says, And may your spirit and soul and body be preserved, complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So now you find out that you and I and every human are made up of three parts, right? Spirit, soul, and, and, and body right now. Now, some, that's called a trichotomy. Some people think we're a dichotomy, that the spirit and the soul are pretty much one and the same. So your spirit, soul, plus body. I think it's a trichotomy. And the only way you can separate the spirit and the soul is uh, Hebrews 4.12. The word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, able to pierce to the division of soul and spirit. So I, I believe in a, a, a trichotomy uh, like that. But here's the thing about that right there. Notice that we are spirit, soul, and body, correct? Within the soul is the mind, the will, and the emotions, right? I'm also a body. I also have the spirit of God living in me. So God ministers to Joshua. First, he gives him emotional support in the soul. Don't be afraid. Then he gives him physical support. Take all the troops with you. Then he gives him spiritual support. He goes, I've given it into your hand. Now, if you think about the way God operated with Josh right there, is God, at, is, is, the beautiful picture is God is ministering to Joshua on all three parts of his being, every part of his life. And I like that a lot because there's any given part of our life can really kind of scare us into not going forward. But here we find God, God is saying, do this. And the great thing about it is this. He's telling Joshua and all the, you can turn back to Joshua now. He's telling Joshua and all of it, basically get up, go back in the fight. Don't back off. Don't be paralyzed by sabotaging yourself. Get up and get in there. Now, for Joshua, now I want you to think now, for somebody in this room or somebody watching later on, um, think about this. After we failed, wouldn't this be a great encouragement? Because typically, what is, happens to you and I after we kind of failed pretty big time? Don't we kind of think, God, you can never use me again? Anybody? God can't use me. No, that's not true. Because this is a great application of, hey, you know what? I still can use you. I, I can use you right now. You haven't blown it so bad that I never can use you again. You know what the, one of the greatest statements of God's grace and mercy and God wants to still use you after you and I have failed? You know what it is? You're going to find it over in the book of Judges in a man named Samson. And after Samson has destroyed his life, messed it up everything, the little statement that you read in there, it says this, and Samson's hair began to grow again. You ever caught that? And Samson's hair began to grow again. 
Now, that may mean nothing to anybody out in the culture in the world, but as a born-again believer, that's a little statement that God has put in there to show us that, Samson, yeah, you're blind now. Samson, yeah, you blew it. But Samson, I'm not done with you. I'm still going to use you, Samson. And Samson's hair began to grow again. Amen to that one? I like that a lot. Now, point two in your notes, and that now we find that uh, to, for, to turn uh, defeat into victory, it's implement God's strategy. So now, you know, you analyze, you know, what went wrong. Now, what would I do differently? Now I got to get God's strategy because my strategy sure didn't work. Anybody try your own strategy and that, that didn't work. So let's try God's strategy now. Now, I'm going to read verse two all the way through verse eight. It says, and you shall do, and this is, by the way, this is, listen to how God is telling Josh. This is how you're going to go about it, Josh. You shall do to Ai and its king just as you did to Jericho and its king. And you shall take only its spoil and its cattle as plunder for your, yourselves. Set an ambush for the city behind it. So get the guys behind it. So Joshua rose with all the people of war to go up to Ai. And Joshua chose 30,000 men, valiant warriors, and sent them out at night. He commanded them, saying, See, you are going to ambush the city from behind it. Do not go very far from the city, but all of you be ready. Then I and all the people who are with me will approach the city and will come about when they come out to meet us as at first, because that's what happened last time with the 3,000, that we will flee before them. So in other words, you're going to go up there, they're going to see you. When they come out, you start running like you're defeated. You're fooling them is what you're doing. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, verse 7 and you shall rise from your ambush and take possession of the city for the Lord your God will deliver it into your hand verse 8 then it will be when you have seized the city that you shall set the city on fire you shall do it according to the word of the Lord see I have commanded you so now he gives them a strategy correct? it's a pretty good strategy it really is now anybody who knows sports played on sports team Bianca, Look, if your team is not moving the ball or your plays aren't working and it's halftime and you're in the locker room, what does a good coach do? Raise your hand. What did you do, Tim? Well, I hope he inspires me. Yeah. He changes something, but what does he change? Yeah, he changes strategy. If these plays aren't working, what do I need to do? I've got to change the plays. It's just not working. And that's what's happening here. Anybody ever watch Remember the Titans? One of the cool movies of all time. Yeah. Remember the very end and they're in the national title game? Remember that? And the very end, they get the ball back on that, on that fumble. And, uh, and, and Coach Boone's going to call the play. But Coach Boone, in the movie anyway, he calls, he's got a, a, like five, six plays and that's all he runs. He says, like Novocaine, just give it time. It's going to work. But it's not working in this game. And they got one last chance. And Coach Yost, what does he say? Coach Yost says, Coach Boone, he goes, they're, they're 10 steps ahead of you, man. You got to mix it up on these guys. You got to mix it up. Because Coach Yost knows your plays aren't working and you got one last chance. And so he calls that Georgia reverse like your life depended on him, man. And he puts in the quarterback that was injured and they do the reverse and of course they go all the way down and they win the game, which is really smart because you have to, what, if it's not working, then it's time for you to change the strategy, right? And so it didn't work. They fought at AI. They lost. That strategy doesn't work. Don't be insane and go do the same thing. Listen to God and what God says on the strategy. Now, 
God's strategy in your notes. Let me take you through God's strategy. The first thing is, this time, you get to keep the spoils. Did you catch that when we read that? He says, you get to keep stuff this time. Now, this time you get to keep the spoils. In other words, you have to learn to wait for the eventual payoff. Don't you just feel kind of sorry for Achan right now? If he would have just waited, if he, if he wouldn't have done that, oh my gosh, he would have got the spoils. But this is a new strategy, because at Jericho, that wasn't the strategy. This is a new strategy. Now, the second bullet point is, past victories do not ensure future victories. Always, you know, this is, if you're leading any kind of organization, anything whatsoever, you have to understand that just because you did it a certain way before and it worked, <laughs> and it worked, it doesn't mean it's going to work over here. It's, gonna, it's not going to work again. I have, I have messed up in this one too many times to count in my senior pastor life thinking that just because this worked before, it does not work again just because it worked before. Now, before Jericho, the plan was march around the city and it worked, right? This time, that's not going to work. Now I got to change it. Have you ever wondered this? Why didn't Jesus heal the same way every time? Because first off, if he healed the same way every time, what would we do to that methodology? Deify it, man. That's the way. That's the way you do it every time. We'd sit there and go, bring somebody to the altar. They got a broken leg. Bring some clay. I'm going to spit in it right now, you know, because, you know, I'm going to do it the way Jesus did. We're going to do it that way every time. But he doesn't do it the same way every time. So since he doesn't do it the same way every time, God's a creative God. And if you think just because this worked, it's not going to work again just because it worked before. Now, the next one is this. Um, know your enemy. You got to know your enemy. Oh, God knows the enemy pretty good. Joshua's learning the enemy pretty good. Why did they lose at AI before? Overconfidence. Remember that one from last week? They were just overconfident. We don't need more than 3,000 guys. We can take these guys down like nothing. Now, now God says, you going to listen to me now? You going to listen to what I have to say to you now? You got to know the enemy. Don't lean on your own understanding, Joshua. Now, he tells, if you saw the strategy, he said, Send some people around the back. Don't let AI see you. And then you guys are going to go to the front. Uh, some guys go to the front. And then when they go up there, and when the enemy sees you, they're going to come charging out. And what do you do? You take off running, right? Did you catch that? Now, what does God tell Joshua? What does God understand? What is Joshua learning? That AI, the way they do battle, their methodology is direct attack. The enemy's there. We leave the city. We charge at you. And we take you down. So God knows that. That's the MO. Joshua's learning that. And so that's the way they operate. And so we're going to use, we're going to understand our enemy's methodology and we're going to use that against them because they're a direct attack people. You got to know the enemy's schemes. As a Christian, don't you need to know the enemy's schemes? Don't you need to know how the devil attacks you? Because if you don't, he's going to play you every time. He's going to get you every... Now watch this. Keep your finger right here or mark right here. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Now watch this. Watch what Paul says. 2 Corinthians 2 in the New Testament. To have a victorious Christian life, you have to know the enemy's schemes. If you don't, you're, man, he's got you. Now in chapter 2, look at verse 11. And I'm not going to go through the whole context of what sin was taking place here and what happened. But look at verse 11. It says... So that no advantage, say advantage, would be taken of us by Satan, for we are not ignorant, say ignorant, ignorant. of his schemes. Say schemes. schemes. 
Okay, now, putting it together, just quickly defining some words here. The word schemes is, means evil purposes. So Satan has evil purposes, does he not? Okay, good. Now, he says that the enemy wants to take advantage. The word advantage is the idea of cheating somebody out of something in their life that belongs to them. So now you find the enemy's evil purpose is, I'm going to cheat you and you and you and me. I'm going to cheat. I'm going to get cheat all of you guys from something that is something in your life. I'm going to get it. And then he says the word ignorant. He says, and the word ignorant means to not know. Ignorant doesn't mean stupid. It means you just don't even know. You may choose not to know. And so he's telling you, go, look, guys. He goes, the enemy wants to take away what God gives to you. And if you're not aware of the schemes and the way he plays it out, if you don't know that and you don't understand what's coming at you, he's going to take it away from you. And the enemy wants to rob us of stuff. Question, real quick. Raise your hand. What's one of the enemy's biggest schemes across the board? Do you know? He accuses you. He accuses you. Everybody sins. And then he accuses you. And he does a number in your head. And he lodges in there in your mind. And he starts to accuse you. And see, if you don't discern that right away, that's the scheme of the enemy that he's accusing and accusing you, then you're, and you're, he's going to take you down. Because that's one of his biggest schemes. Now, I want to do a, a, a little, try something here. Turn over to Genesis 3. It's one of my favorite chapters. It's what I'm writing the book on, basically, out of that chapter. I think everything, all relational dysfunction... And health and dysfunctions flows out of Genesis 2 and Genesis 3. Um, now watch. Now I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. You, in your mind, you get one of his schemes in your head. When you pick one up, keep it in your head, okay? Then I'm going to ask you to share one of those schemes that you catch in there. Because in these five verses, you will catch massive schemes of the enemy. In fact, I probably should just read to verse 7. I'll, I'll do that. 1 through 7. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, uh, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it, or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, You surely shall not die. For God knows that the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves loin coverings. Raise your hand and tell me a scheme, the enemy scheme. That you picked out from that. Raise your hand. Tell me one. Yes. You doubt God. No. He cast a doubt right at the beginning there. He cast. He got. He got her to doubt God's word. Is that what you're telling me? Indeed, as God said. Yeah. Doubt. God didn't really say that. What else? Appealing to the sense of I can be a gut, I can be the shot caller, I can deify my opinions, and I can be the right one in any situation. What's another scheme? Yes. 
misrepresents God. You know how he misrepresents God? He says, listen, Eve, listen to me. God knows. God knows, he knows that if you eat that, you're gonna be like a God. In other words, God knows. In other words, God's holding out on you. God's holding something back from you. That's what he's telling Eve. He, he's saying, God knows something like that. Anything else you pick out of there? Well, he got her to say that. She says that. And that's another thing now he got her to do. He got her to add on to God's word something that's not in God's word. Did God ever say you couldn't touch it? God never said that. You go back to chapter 2. He just said you can't eat it. You can look at it. You can touch it. You just can't eat it. And now she's adding to the word of God. That's a dangerous place to be. Now he's got her. Now he's dialoguing with her. And then... Do you catch the biggest, the biggest failure in the whole thing besides the fact that now there's sin and separated from God and dead, the whole thing like that? He promised her, he said, you'll be a God. He promises her, if you do this, there's going to be an upward spiritual mobility. Did you catch that? You'll be a God. But then when she takes the fruit and she eats of it, what, what result comes? It's a downward spiritual mobility. It doesn't move you up, it moves you down is what it does. So he promises, the serpent promises the moon, but in reality, he takes the word moon and puts an R between the two O's and you go from the moon to being a moron. <laughs> Took me a long time to come up with that, okay, guys? I expected more laughter than that, but anyway. I work on that really, really hard. So he takes you from, you're going to be this, and now you're embarrassed. And after we've failed and messed up, don't we feel like a moron? Don't we feel embarrassed? How could I have bought into this? How could I? That's what he does. These are his schemes, okay? It's what he does. And we've got to be aware of it. Now, next thing, going back to Joshua. The next strategy of God is self-denial. Self-denial. <clears throat> now, look in verse 3 again, Joshua 8, 3. Uh, look in that verse right there. At what time of the day are the soldiers to go out? At night. Oh, they got to go out at night. Okay. Don't think that's an insignificant statement. It's a very significant statement because that means that they must deny themselves sleep if they're going to defeat the enemy. Did you catch that? So there's a self-denial in this whole process here. You know why that's important? Because why did they lose to Ai? Because a guy by the name of Achan could not deny himself and he took the stuff. And now you have to practice self-denial if you're going to take Ai. It's a really cool little spin on everything right there. Now, <clears throat> self-denial. Very important. Is it not? Yes or no? Yeah, it's a, it's a big one. Now, we have to deny ourselves because we have to, our greatest enemy is not just Satan, not just demons, but who's our greatest enemy sometimes? Ourselves. ourselves. The enemy is enemy. Say that. The enemy, the enemy. is enemy. enemy. Oh, you guys are weak on that. Well, come on, man. Try it again. The enemy, the enemy. is enemy. enemy. I love that statement. I heard that like 27 years ago. I've never forgot that one right there. So now, so, so, so now I got to deny, if I'm going to win, I got to deny myself. I can't be like Achan, take the stuff and forget God what he says. I've got to deny myself now. This whole thing right here. Keep your marker here. And uh, you're not coming back, by the way. So let's just shift over to Galatians chapter 5. And we're going to go through 
Yeah, you got to go with me quick now. Okay. Galatians 5. When you're there, say, I'm there. Because keep the context of self-denial in your mind. If you, can't, if you forget it, I'll bring it back to you. So the enemy is enemy. I'm my greatest enemy. So <clears throat> look at verses, uh, Galatians 5, 16, 17. It says this. But I say, this is Paul speaking, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. The flesh is the old nature. You know the guy that lives inside of every one of us? You know the guy, the person that's really good at sinning? You ever met that person? The person that wants to go back and do the wrong stuff and be very selfish and self-centered. Anybody know that person? Okay, good, because he, he lives in you. He lives in me too. It says, verse 17, For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition, say opposition, to one another, so that you, Jim, may not do the things that you please. So self-denial. I, if I walk by the spirit, I will not do the things that I please. I remember... Um, Growing up, watching the Vietnam War on TV. And how many remember watching on, on the news when we were getting out of Vietnam, helicopter over the side of the boat? You remember those images? Yeah, those of us who are old remember the images. And then, so the war's over and our troops come back, and so they leave the war behind. Question, did our Vietnam soldiers leave really the war behind? No, no. no they, it was inside of them. They couldn't leave it behind because the things they were asked to do, the things that they went through. And so they left the war behind, but really they brought a war with them. It's raging inside of them. Let me tell you something. They brought war with them inside of them. Everywhere you and I go, we bring the war with us. Because the war is not raging so much around us always. It's the war inside of us. Will I do the right thing? Will I deny myself? Because that's the real war. If we really, if really face up to it. Look what Jesus said. Look at Luke chapter 9 to your left. Luke 9, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke chapter 9. When you're there, say, I'm there. Look at verse 23, just a quick hit, and then we're going to try to apply this whole thing. This is Jesus speaking, and, and he was saying to them, verse 23, and he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must what? i got to deny myself. Is that easy? This is, no, it's not easy. And take up his cross. Are you kidding? I have to be crucified? Yeah, i got to die to myself. By the way, there will not be a relationship or a marriage that will ever work unless you crucify yourself and die to yourself. And don't sit there and say, well, they need to do it first. Shut up, okay? It says you. You got to do it. Don't wait for the other person to do anything. You have a personal responsibility before God to die to yourself. Now, he must deny himself, take up his cross. How often? Every day, all the time. And... Follow me, not follow myself, not follow my inclinations, not follow what I want, but follow Jesus. So I got to die every day, I got to die on the cross every day, I got to deny myself, and I got to live for Him. That's Christianity, is it not? Is it not? It totally is right there, that's right. So the question is this, how do I deny myself? How do I get this victory? How do I do these things? Well, let me take you on a fun story I've taken you on before on Sunday mornings or something. I've probably done it so many times. Go to Judges chapter 4. Go back near Joshua and then one book to your right. Judges 4. We're going to look at a really cool lady by the name of Jael. You know what Jael's name means? Wild mountain goat. Can you imagine naming your daughter Wild Mountain Goat? Come here, Wild Mountain Goat. Now look at chapter 4, verse 15 to 22. Let me read it, and then I'll go back and comment and see how do you get victory. 
because it's really cool. I'm going to take the, the what, then I'll give you the, the applications for it. Verse 15, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army with the edge of the sword before Barak and Sisera alighted from his chariot and fled on foot. Alighted means he's jumped off it. But Barak pursued the chariots and the army as far as Harosheth Hagoyim, and aren't you glad I'm reading that, and all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not even one was left. Now Sisera fled away on foot. So he's, he's like the head of the, of the army that lost. He's the enemy. He fled away on foot to the tent of Jael. Say Jael. Say wild mountain goat. Here's in her house now. The wife of Heber, Heber the Kenite. Now Heber, Hebrew, Heber. Hebrew means you crossed over. Or the Chaldees, Abraham leaves, Fertile Crescent, Euphrates. He crosses over to the promised land that we know right now for them. The Kenite. For there was peace between Jabin the king of Hazar and the house of Heber the Kenite. Jael went out to meet Sisera. So here comes the enemy, uh, leader right there, runs to Sisera's door, and uh, she runs out to meet him, and she says to him, hey, turn aside. In other words, come in here, my master. Turn aside to me, exclamation point. Get in here. Do not be afraid. I would, wild mountain goat. But anyway, and he turned aside to her into the tent, and she covered him with a rug. So he comes inside, he puts a rug. She's hiding him. He said to her, please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. So she opened a bottle of milk and gave him a drink, and then she covered him. He said to her, stand in the doorway of the tent. He's telling her, hey, Jael, stand in the doorway of the tent, and it shall be, if anyone comes and inquires of you and says, is there anyone here, that you shall say no. In other words, tell him I'm not here. But Jael, Heber's wife, took a tent peg. And sees a hammer in her hand. She's a wild mountain goat. And went secretly to him and drove the tent bag into his temple. And it went through into the ground. For he was sound asleep and exhausted. So he died. Awesome. Verse 22. And behold, as Barak pursued Sisera, Jael came out to meet him and said to him, Come, and I will show you the man whom you are seeking. And he entered with her. And behold, Sisera was lying dead with a tent bag in his temple. Let's go. Amen. Let's go. No. Wouldn't that make a great ID channel story? It'd be like 48 hours mystery. Jael, the wild mountain goat. I'd, be, I'd pay to see that one. Now, here's the applications. God, the, the, God defeats the enemy, right? The enemy's defeated, correct? Did Jesus defeat the enemy? Yeah, he did. The enemy runs, this guy runs to Jael's house. He, he runs there, Sisera runs to the house. The old nature, even though the enemy's been defeated, the old nature runs into the house, does he not? The old nature's in there. But the enemy's been defeated. Jesus beat the enemy down, okay. The enemy's inside of me, okay. The enemy wants a little bit of water, Right? Doesn't the enemy, the old enemy, Jimmy Del Campo, and you, doesn't say, just give me a little bit of sin. Doesn't he? Just do it a little bit. Just do it this one time. That's all. And of course, a little bit leads to a lot to bit. Just give me, come on, just give me a little bit. The old nature, give me a little bit. And of course, he wants water, and she gives him Milk. Probably some warm milk. What does warm milk do? It tends to put you to sleep, right? So 
We give our old nature that wants us to sin just a little bit. You got to give them a little bit of warm milk. And we know that the word of God is called the milk of the word. Is it not in Hebrews? So you, you give that old nature, you feed it the word of God. The thing it doesn't want, because it wants this water. Don't give me, you give it that milk of the word of God. And you start putting that poppies, poppies. You put that old nature to sleep, right? That was Wizard of Oz, by the way, in case you didn't get that now, the enemy, remember the enemy said, if anybody shows up, tell them I'm not here, right? Don't tell anybody about our sin. Don't let anybody know. Just keep it our secret, okay? It's okay because it's just a little bit, man, a little bit. And of course, he falls asleep because she gives him the well, application, milk of the word of God, and then she takes the tent peg. <laughs> Bam! Right through his temple. And he's, He's done. He's out. She's a cool lady, man. Just don't fall asleep first, okay? <laughs> and the tent peg in the story is a picture of the cross of Christ. Our sins nailed to the cross. The old nature is nailed to the cross. And how do I know? Last verse. Turn to Romans chapter 6. Isn't that a cool story? Yeah. I just love that story. And look at this. She drives that tent pick through his head, man. Picture of the cross. It says, verse 6 of chapter 6 of Romans, he says, Knowing this, that our old self was crucified. Do you know that when you gave your life to Christ, that the old nature, the enemy that is enemy, that person, that old Jim, is actually nailed to the cross with Christ? Did you know that? Did you know that? In order that our body of sin might be done away, say done away, away. with so that we may, will no longer be slaves to sin. Done away is the idea of basically paralyzed or powerless. So once we were nailed to the cross spiritually at salvation, because Jesus on the cross, that my old nature, the old enemy that is enemy, is powerless. Can't make me do anything. A paralyzed person, a quadriplegic, can only scream at you. But he has no power to make you do anything. And once you start to understand that my old nature can scream at me, but he has no power to make me do anything, then you begin to understand the victory that Christ has given every one of us when we identified with him and put our faith in him. And you can have victory in any situation. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word tonight. Thank you for letting us see Joshua and how to turn defeat into victory, God. And thank you for the cross. Because it's all been done away on that cross. Thank you for the great visual of Jael in Judges. Thank you, Lord. I pray blessings upon everybody who came out tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCCNorco, or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.